everybody. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Lights Out Podcast. I'm your host, Josh. As always, I got my brother and producer, Joel, here in the studio with me. And today we are doing episode four of our first Halloween series on the Lights Out Podcast. So for today's episode, I thought it was only appropriate that we cover the infamous and absolutely brutal serial killer known as Ed Gein. Ed Gein is probably one of the most infamous serial killers of all time because he is literally the real life Leatherface. And there's just been so many horror movies that have been inspired from Ed Gein's life. And those include Psycho, Leatherface, obviously, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Buffalo Bill from The Silence of the Lambs, and even Dr. Oliver Threadson from American Horror Story. So if you've seen any of those, you probably know that they absolutely took some inspiration from Ed Gein's life because he is one messed up individual, that is for sure. And Texas Chainsaw Massacre still today is like one of my favorite horror movies. The 2003 remake, it was definitely a very horrifying movie for me. Oh, yeah. And uh, yeah, this did a really good job for, you know, getting me really scared throughout the whole thing. Yeah, I mean, it's so brutal. It's absolutely a brutal movie. If you've never seen Texas Chainsaw Massacre, uh, yeah, it's it's definitely really good in the fact that it scares the hell out of you. And yeah, I'll never forget watching that movie, uh, the 2003 version, when I was like in seventh grade. And I just remember being so <laughs> fucked after that. Like I yeah. couldn't sleep. I just was thinking about it all the time because some of those scenes in that movie are just so fucking wild. You're like, can't believe like this shit really happened. Definitely. And, you know, researching Ed Gein, you start seeing all of the similarities between Leatherface uh, from the movie and Ed Gein's real life. I mean, it, this guy, this monster, really, the fact that this guy did all of these things that we're going to talk about today is just absolutely both horrifying and unbelievable, honestly, because it's just like, how is any human capable of doing these things to other humans? It just does not make sense in my head. I'm like, how are people able to get to this point where they're willing to do all of these horrific things, torture other human beings? It just makes no sense to me. But we're going to dive deep into the life of Ed Gein and his horrendous crimes today. Also, I wanted to remind you guys that we still have merch available at milehiremerch.com for Lights Out Show. Go get your merch because once we sell out, I'm not going to be restocking these designs except for the skeleton logo. That's the only thing that will stay in the store. And then we'll be dropping some new merch probably in the next month or two as well. So look out for that. Also, this episode is brought to you by Simply Safe which I couldn't think of a much better sponsor for this type of show other than a security system because <laughs> my God, right? yeah, if in these times, like if you're not rolling with the security system, uh, I highly recommend you check out Simply Safe and more on that later. But well, let's uh, go ahead and get into the story of Ed Gein, the butcher of Plainfield, also the real life Leatherface. The story of Ed Gein begins on August 27, 1906 in La Crosse, Wisconsin, and he was actually born with the name Edward Theodore Gein. Ed was born to parents George and Augusta Gein. He also had an older brother named Henry, who was born five years earlier than him in 1901. His father, George, was an alcoholic who was never able to hold down a job, and his mother, Augusta, despised his father, George, because He couldn't keep a job, and he would not stop drinking. George worked as a salesman, a carpenter, and a tanner, 
before opening up a grocery store, which a tanner is like somebody who tans hides because up here in La Crosse, Wisconsin, which I don't know if I'm saying that right, because Wisconsiners have a certain accent to how they speak. And I'm from Colorado. I have a very like country accent. I think we kind of have this like it's not like Texas country accent, but it's like a people from I don't know. You let us know. Like a lot of people when I travel, I go to other places, other countries they are like you got a Colorado accent. Like (laughs) we got this kind of weird accent to us. So people from Wisconsin also have a very unique accent as well. In particular, this area is more, you know, plains, but there's obviously forests. There's lots of wildlife. They like to hunt. So George being a tanner, that was something that he took part in and, you know, obviously tan the hides of animals. So that was something that was introduced to Ed at a very young age. And, you know, he knew all about hunting. When George opened up the grocery store, Augusta thought, hey, you know, maybe we got a shot now and maybe things would get better. But the store only did just okay. And when Ed was about eight years old, Augusta insisted the family leave the town of La Crosse. She believed the city was corrupting her sons and wanted to live somewhere more remote. Augusta was very strong-willed and very controlling. Whatever she wanted was what the family did. So the family moved out of town and they bought a 155-acre farm outside of Plainfield, Wisconsin, another town with only about 700 residents, so teeny, 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 tiny town. And yeah, not, not many people there. And obviously with 155 acres, I mean, that's a lot of land. There's probably not going to be a lot of people around you. So they lived in complete isolation. They never had visitors. They had no electricity and no indoor plumbing. And their house, I got to say, definitely looks creepy. Uh, A lot of people said that, you know, if there was a haunted house in this area, it was definitely the Gaines house. It's just this very old style home that, you know, a lot of us would associate with being some sort of house from like the 1800s that's probably haunted. And the fact that they had no electricity, no plumbing, I mean, clearly this makes it even spookier because it's super fucking dark at night. Definitely. It gives me Amityville horror vibes looking at this thing. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. But no electricity. That's, that's gotta be tough to do. And and especially no indoor plumbing. Like, yeah, that's crazy. The two conveniences we all enjoy every day. They did not have. And the only time that Ed and his brother Henry would leave the farm was to go to school. His mother, Augusta was a devout Lutheran and was absolutely obsessed with religion, which is very interesting. And every night she made the boys sit for hours listening to her read the Old Testament from the Bible. She taught them how the world was full of evil and corrupt people and that they should stay far, far away from all of that. Augusta believed that sex outside of marriage was an unforgivable sin. And in her own marriage, she viewed it as a woman's duty to her husband, but she was repulsed by it. She was also just extremely miserable with George, but she believed divorce was a sin. So she focused on her energy on her boys. This sounds a lot like our own upbringing in, in a way, you know, because the way we were brought up in this re- same religious perspective was the sense that this mentions was what our parents were ultimately conveying to us. Wouldn't you say so? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, we didn't grow up Lutheran, but we definitely went to a lot of churches and uh, were sometimes Lutheran, sometimes Nazarene, sometimes Baptist. We went to a mm-hmm. lot of very, more fundamentalist churches. I, I'm sure many of you have been to a Christian church and you're like, what are you guys talking about? You know, my church isn't that strict, but we went to a lot of very, very devout, you know, 
fundamentalist style churches where they take the Bible very seriously. And that's how Augusta was. She took the Bible for literal fact. Like Mm -hmm. everything the Bible says is exactly what you should do. And if you do anything that the Bible doesn't say, then that is an unforgivable sin that will land your ass in hell. So that was what she was teaching George and Henry from a very, very young age. And that's what Joel and I were learned from a young age as well. Augusta would preach to her children about how all women were promiscuous instruments of the devil, and she was the only exception. But what's interesting is that according to census records, Augusta was pregnant with Henry before her and George were ever even married. So she lied about the dates in order to avoid a scandal with all this. Hmm, hypocrisy. Something that we're very familiar with in religion. But when Ed and Henry finished school, there was no going anywhere else. Talking to neighbors or friends, they literally came straight home. That was the only option they had. And as the boys got older, they were not allowed to date. Hmm, that sounds very similar to us as well. We (laughs) were pretty much not allowed to date unless it was somebody from the church. And also when Ed tried to make friends, Augusta punished him. She wanted to isolate them and have them basically be all hers, have no other human interaction except with her, which is just very, very weird. But Ed Gein did okay in school, and he liked reading. But he was a strange, strange fella. He was very quiet, and he would sometimes laugh to himself during class. And unfortunately, the other kids made fun of him for his droopy eye and named him Milksop. And yeah, he's definitely got this very kind of unique look to him for sure. I could see why kids would make fun of him. You know, obviously it's not cool to make fun of people, but I definitely see why they did. But Ed was very attached to his mother and he spent all of his free time working on the farm, doing chores, you know, helping out his mother wherever he could. And when he was 14 years old, Ed came home from school one day and never went back. He just never went back to school after that. His mother stayed faithful to George until he passed away in 1940. He died of heart failure caused by his alcoholism at 66 years old. At this point in time, Ed and Henry started just doing odd jobs around town in order to make money and help support the family farm. What's crazy is Ed's favorite job was babysitting for his neighbors. It's just wild to think about that Ed Gein was with kids at some point alone. That's a really scary thought. Yeah, it is. But he found it easier to get along with children than adults. And a lot of people are like that where... They just, you know, seem to get along better with kids than they do adults. I mean, we know people personally like that. And I feel so bad for Ed because of his mother. He didn't have the proper like social development as a kid, you know. So the fact that he maybe felt like he could relate to kids a lot easier being a babysitter or something may with the social development kind of explain that was he didn't get those skills early on, you know? Yeah. Unfortunately, I think a lot of where his life ends up has to do with his mother and his mother really, really did not help him at all. She in fact damaged him quite a bit by isolating him. And like you said, not allowing him to go be normal and Mm -hmm. like have friends and go through the normal life experiences as a child. He just did not have any of that. He was alone with his brother on the farm and his mom. That's It's just not a a good way to be. Ed did try to date on occasion, but he never really got anywhere with women, probably because his social skills were so bad. He would actually sneak in magazines so he could look at the pictures of the women inside. His brother Henry ended up meeting a divorced woman with kids, and they started dating. And eventually he wanted to leave the farm, but he was very worried about Ed. As Ed was becoming more and more attached to their mother than before. At one point, Henry became frustrated and confronted Ed about it. 
but Ed wouldn't budge, and it really bothered him when his brother talked bad about Augusta. So it seems like Henry started realizing, like, okay, this is not normal, what we've got going on here at the farm. Our mom is kind of crazy, and we need to get out of here. We need to go, you know, start our own lives. But Ed was not about that at all. He wanted to stay with his mother. And so, you know, that kind of soured the relationship a bit. On May 16, 1944, Ed and Henry tried to put out a brush fire on the farm's property. And through the smoke, Ed said he lost track of Henry. And he raced into town to report that Henry was missing. The police came out and they asked Ed if he had checked the farmhouse, but he didn't answer. And when the police started searching the property looking for Henry, Ed led them right to Henry's dead body. When they found him, Henry was lying face down on the ground. His clothes and skin hadn't been burned at all, and he had bruises on his head. There was no autopsy, but his cause of death was determined to be asphyxiation, or I believe they think he may have died from the smoke inhalation. The police ended up ruling it as an accident, and they did not investigate further. They didn't even question Ed about what could have happened. That's very suspicious that Ed just led him straight to his brother's body like that and the injuries not being burnt at all. That's suspicious. Hmm, maybe Ed killed his brother. He did not want his brother to leave. And, you know, let's basically let's, you know, fake a fire and fake an accident. And I'm going to kill Henry because, I mean, it doesn't explain a fire. A brush fire doesn't explain bruises on the head. And I think it looked like he got whacked in the head like it was pretty obvious that it wasn't you know him dying of smoke inhalation or asphyxiation it was definitely like he got fucking bludgeoned and that's how he died but the police for whatever reason did not investigate it further and ed did kind of have a reason to perhaps kill his brother because maybe he was just really depressed that his brother was finally leaving him you know just to be by himself with his mom at the farm and he might had some resentment towards that and the fact that henry might have spoke pretty badly about their mother as well could have been kind of, all reasons been he a could have acted out yeah, yeah it could have just been like a trigger like he's like all right dude if you're gonna turn against us then i'm just gonna take you out yeah which is which i mean if ed did kill his brother then you know which it really seems like it did then perhaps this was the first time that ed killed or maybe ed killed before at henry's funeral though ed said some very weird things about his deceased brother He told someone that Henry would have ended up being a disappointment if he had lived. And he seemed pleased that he now had his mother all to himself. About a year and a half after Henry's death, though, Augusta had a stroke and was partially paralyzed. Ed was at her bedside taking care of her night and day. And during her recovery, Ed and Augusta visited a neighbor named Smith to buy straw. While they were there, Smith started beating his dog. And a woman came out of the house and told him to stop. But he didn't stop, and he ended up beating the dog to death. After this incident, Augusta was apparently traumatized, not because she watched a dog get beaten to death, but because the woman and Smith lived together, but weren't married. And Ed believed that this trauma that she witnessed, of the two of them living together unmarried, caused her to have a second stroke, which was fatal. Ed's mother died on December 29, 1945, at 67 years old. At the time of her death, Ed was 39 years old and he was absolutely devastated because he was now completely alone. At her funeral, Ed was just hysterical. He was crying uncontrollably and he seemed more like a small child who had lost his mother than a middle-aged man. After she passed away, he ended up boarding up his mother's room and never went into it again. 
The rest of the house quickly became littered with trash and just was absolutely filthy. Ed spent hours consuming everything he was banned from by his mother, including studying the female anatomy and reading about Nazis and cannibalism. I think he just like, I think it was like the classic scenario of like, if you restrict these things from your child to, you know, and I understand why you do it to some extent, but once you become of age and you are able to, you know, handle, you know, looking at the female anatomy or whatever, it's totally normal to do that. Then, you know, he went absolutely overboard with it to, you know, looking into Nazis and cannibalism and just obsessed with pornography. And, you know, he, you know, he was interested in that, not only because he was restricted from having it, but I, I think he just wasn't prepared for all that and it just absolutely consumed him. The other weird thing was that not only did he board up his mother's room, but he left it like completely like he wanted to preserve it, of course. But when Ed would go into town, everybody actually thought he was all right. Like he was a well-liked guy. He seemed nice even. And even though people did say he was definitely an oddball is what they liked to, you know, he's not like the, the dummy of the town or something like that. They just thought he was odd. Just is definitely a little strange. But in order to survive after his mother passed away, he would do odd jobs. And he was actually a, a pretty hard worker. Housewives would ask him to come by and fix things for them. And they trusted him to babysit their kids even. Which at 39, I'm like, what? Mm-hmm. Like, who's letting that 39 or whatever handyman babysit your kids who's also the town oddball? I'm like, what? in what world is this? But I guess with a town of 700 people, you're options for babysitters must be pretty thin yeah like there's not some teenagers there that yeah that's what i would think too and i can only imagine that he's probably seeking out these jobs too because i'm sure like in any normal reality a family's not going to be like i want this 39 year old man to come babysit my kids maybe and just thinking about the idea that ed was like saying like hey can i watch your kids is just so creepy to me. If you think about it, like why, why babysit kids? There's so many other jobs you could do. Why did he want to babysit kids? It's very weird. And it was probably because to most people he came off, you know, harmless and he was just very polite and he didn't seem like on the surface, somebody who was capable of such destruction. But every once in a while he would be staring at a woman in an uncomfortable kind of way and they would notice and yeah they would be upset by that but he always just brushed it off he was like oh whatever but he was that that guy you know if you're if you're a woman out there you know you've caught guys staring at you before and you're just like dude what what what's wrong with you or you catch a guy that's just being super creepy and creeping hard on you that's what ed gein would do yeah there's always that creepy old guy at the gym Who's just oh, like yeah. posted up somewhere, oh, yeah. kind of playing the act like he's getting a workout in, but he's just like being a total creep. It's like, come on, man! Like we all know why you're here. You yeah, know? seriously, so, you ain't working out that hard. You're not even yeah. sweating, bro. Right? Yeah. No, I, there's always someone like that. Every time I go to the gym, I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, dude, what are you doing here? Like, I went into the gym the other day, and a guy was wearing Crocs, <laughs> and I was like, dude, and, and he wasn't even that old. He was probably like in his mid 30s or whatever, but. I caught him so many times just like 
checking out girls as they walked by. I was oh like, my God. I was like, dude, you're literally here. And he was like on the phone. He was on the elliptical <laughs> in Crocs talking like business with somebody. And, and he's like swiveling his head as girls wow. walk by. And I'm like, dude, you're such a creep, man. Like, what are you doing here? <laughs> who, who come? And he's like getting on the bench. I'm like, yeah, it's like, you're not fooling anybody. Come on. Like, who works out in Crocs, man? Right. If I saw his Crocs, <laughs> I would have been like, what are those? Yeah, seriously. It's like, I'm surprised they let him in the gym with Crocs. On. Like, that's a, that's a hazard, right? If you're yeah. like doing dumbbells and you yeah. drop one, I can only imagine you're slipping and sliding in those things. Yeah. So like, dude, get out of here, man. You fucking creep. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> just thought that was funny, but you would think that someone like Ed Gein would be antisocial and he was most of the time, but sometimes he would stop and socialize with neighbors outside of their houses or even in their homes. You know, he'd go do handyman jobs and he'd stop and talk to people So people knew who he was. And one time a neighbor decided to invite Ed over for dinner, knowing he was lonely and without his mother. A female relative joined the family and Ed for dinner and Ed spent the whole time staring at her and barely talking. So just creeping out the entire time at dinner. And it ended very quickly because the female relative went home and the family went to bed and they were like, all right, dude, just getting weird. But in the middle of the night, the young son was woken up by a man in his room and the man started choking him. And during the attack, he whispered in the boy's ear, demanding to know where the female relative lived. The boy told his parents what had happened and said he thought the man was Ed Gein, but no one ever reported the attack to police. What? I mean, clearly it was probably Ed, but that's so fucking scary. You invite him into your house for dinner. He starts creeping on your your cousin or whatever. Cousin leaves because they're so creeped out. And then that night, you're sleeping in your bed and your son has got Ed Gein in his room. <laughs> what the fuck? Yeah, what? That's so scary, man. And there was even other times where neighbors would notice Ed just lurking around their houses at night. I mean, he's got nothing better to do. So he's just out there creeping around, just like trying to look through people's windows. He's He's that kind of guy. And if you see pictures of Ed... That would scare me if I saw him outside my house, just like looking through my windows or, you know, if you're like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, whenever you see Leatherface's eye, like going out, that always just, oh yeah, that is freaky. Like I just picture Ed Gein's eye, like just peering through like a little peephole or like a keyhole of a door or something. It's just so scary. But around 1947, things took a very dark turn for Ed. He started frequently visiting the cemetery where his mother was buried late at night to talk to her. He then started seeking out the obituaries in the paper to find women around the same age as his mother and who looked like her. There were only about 700 residents in Plainfield around this time, but there were three cemeteries close by. Ed learned when the services were being held and where the women were being buried. And after the burials, he went to the cemeteries in the middle of the night to dig up the fresh graves. Ed would then either bring the corpse home or he'd chop off pieces of the bodies to bring home with him. If he decided to bring the whole corpse home, he would use the body parts to practice taxidermy and create disturbing household objects from the skin and bones of the corpses. There was a 16-year-old boy in Ed's neighborhood who he sometimes took to games or movies. And the boy actually saw some of Ed's masks made of human skin in his house. But Ed told him they were the shrunken heads from the Philippines where his cousin served during World War II. It seemed like Ed's goal was to create a full body suit made of female skin so that he could wear it and live within his mother's body. He missed his mother so much that he wanted to 
become his mother. And he was going to use corpses in order to make a basically a suit for him. How, how disgusting is that? But after some time, he realized that it was very difficult to do this by using bodies of dead people or people who had passed away, you know, as over time, your body starts to decompose. And obviously you can do things to preserve it in order to bury it. But he decided he needed fresh bodies in order to make the suit he wanted. And I was thinking like, how many graves can this guy dig up before he gets caught? And especially in a small town, you know, everyone will realize there's people missing from graves real quick. So he might have realized that, hey, I got to find another way to get some of these pieces to his suit so right, he doesn't get caught. Right. It's like, how many graves can he possibly dig up before people are like, you know, whoever groundskeepers at the cemetery are like, okay, all this ground is, every plot in here is disturbed. Like, what's going on? Mm-hmm. And yeah, like you said, he gets caught. So that that's definitely, I think, part of the motive to switch to, to fresh bodies, as he says. So that's when Ed targeted a woman named Mary Hogan. So Ed Gein's first victim was Mary Hogan and Mary was born in 1899 in Germany and she immigrated to the United States when she was 11 years old with her father and her sister. According to records that are out there, she was married three times, but it's not clear if she was widowed or divorced. She was married to a number of different men and she had at least one child, a daughter named Christine, who was adopted by Mary's cousin and her husband, Christine and Joseph Yartz. In 1954, Mary was 51 years old. And she owned Hogan's Tavern in Pine Grove, Wisconsin, less than 10 miles from Plainfield. Mary was high-spirited, and she got along well with the local hunters who would visit the tavern. She enjoyed lively conversation and didn't shy away from profanity. And she was affectionately nicknamed Dirty Mary. On December 8th, Ed dragged a sled to the tavern and waited outside, watching all the customers leave. And right before it closed, he went inside the tavern, and Mary told him, Hey, we're closing for the night. But Ed ignored that and walked to the side of the bar where Mary was standing. He then took out a 32 caliber pistol and shot her point blank in the head, which this is basically executing someone. So Mary died instantly. He then dragged her body out to a sled and then spent several hours pulling the sled all the way back to his farm. How crazy is that? How brazen is that? I can't believe he did this. And like, how did nobody see this? How did nobody stop him from doing this? Just crazy. Like, where are these customers? They already left that fast that there's nobody around to stop him. It's wild. But once he got her back to the farm, things got really brutal. He took her body into the summer kitchen where his parents used to slaughter the hogs. He used a pulley to hang Mary upside down by her heels and basically gutted her like he would a deer. Just absolutely mutilated her body. That evening, A farmer stopped by Mary's tavern to get some ice cream for his daughter on his way home. And when he went inside, he knew something was wrong right away because all the chairs were overturned and he saw blood and money all over the floor. Obviously, he realized something was very wrong and he immediately reported it to the police. And when the police arrived, they started investigating Mary's disappearance. Inside the bar, the police found a bullet casing that matched a 32 caliber Mauser pistol. Other than the bullet casing, though, there was no other leads or really evidence to go off of. And the case quickly went cold. You got to remember, like back in the 50s, there wasn't like DNA evidence or anything like that. So there wasn't really much to go off of besides, you know, what physical evidence they could gather. That's interesting. The police didn't find too much evidence while they were there, because if Ed put her on a sled and, and drug her body all the way back somewhere, like 
I would think there would be a trail of blood. Yeah. How know, do you running down the street or seriously? Down how somewhere. do you keep it all in the? Yeah. Well, I'm sure he probably wrapped her up because I mean, a bullet to the head is not going to produce a ton of, you know, a lot of people think that there's going to create a ton of blood everywhere, mm-hmm. but not necessarily. So, you know, it kind of just puts a hole through the head. So there's going to be some blood obviously, but in some blood spatter, but you know, a town like this is not going to be equipped to analyze blood spatter uh, in the actual tavern and they're not going to know to do that. And they, pro- maybe that wasn't even invented then. I don't know, but yeah, I mean, they're, you would think that they would see the trail of the sled at least yeah. leading out of town. Like clearly somebody drugs something <laughs> through right. town, but you know, maybe with the weather and everything that they didn't see that, or they just didn't even notice it. But the news of Mary's disappearance spread all through the small town. At one point, Ed even overheard people talking about Mary's disappearance and he even interrupted them to tell them that Mary wasn't missing. She was at his house. That's so weird to say. I feel like, and people apparently just didn't take him seriously when he said that. But I think feel like nowadays people be super suspicious of that be like, uh, huh, that is definitely sus. A few years later though, another woman mysteriously disappeared from Plainfield. Her name was Bernice Warden and she was 58 years old. Bernice was born on May 9th, 1899 in Canton, Illinois, where she lived with her parents and three siblings. She had two children of her own with her husband, Leon Warden, who actually died in 1931. Bernice's son, Frank Warden, lived in Plainfield and actually worked as a deputy in the sheriff's department. And Bernice owned the local hardware store, Warden's. And on November 15, 1957, Ed visited Warden's and started chatting with Bernice and Frank, who happened to be there visiting his mother. And Ed didn't normally start casual conversations with the people in town, but he had taken an interest in Bernice, probably because Bernice reminded him of his mother. And at some point, he even asked her to go skating with him frank mentioned that he was planning a trip that weekend and it was the start of hunting season so most of the men in the town would be out hunting and in this small town people didn't just go out to hunt deer as trophies they were going out to hunt deer for the food because the venison the deer meat provided tons of food for the families of plainfield so it was taken very seriously ed told frank that he'd be back the next morning to buy a gallon of antifreeze And on Saturday, November 16th, Ed drove back to the hardware store and parked in the back. He went inside and locked the door behind him. And before Bernice noticed that he had come in, Ed took out a 22 caliber rifle from the wall and loaded it with a bullet he had in his pocket. And as soon as Bernice looked up, Ed shot her in the head, killing her instantly. And then just like Mary, he dragged her body through the back of the store and into his truck. And after he put her body in the truck, apparently he went back inside and stole $41 from the register before heading home. The following day, the hardware store did not open at the usual time. And the people of the town were starting to get worried because they're like, where's Bernice? This is very unusual for her not to be here in her store by now. And when Frank got back from his hunting trip, he went to the store to see what was going on. The door was locked, so he wasn't able to get in. So he just broke in. And once he was inside, he saw that the store was a mess and there was a pool of blood near the register. He then went to the sales slips that Bernice always wrote for every sale. And the last one was for a gallon of antifreeze and it was for Ed Gein. So when the police got there, he showed him the slip and obviously Ed Gein was probably the last person to see her. So the police officers immediately were sent to Ed's house. 
while Frank searched the rest of the neighborhood for Bernice. With the police heading to Ed's house, Frank actually ended up finding Ed at a nearby coffee shop where he was eating dinner, and he started questioning him. When he asked Ed if he had anything to do with Bernice's disappearance, Ed said, no, I have no idea what you're talking about. Frank didn't believe him at all, and neither did the police. So Ed was arrested. Meanwhile, the police are also heading to look for Bernice at Ed Gein's property. And what they end up finding there is extremely shocking and horrifying. And with that, I just want to give a little bit of a warning here. What we're about to talk about is very, very gruesome and very just disturbing, honestly. So if you decided to eat through this episode, this is probably where I would definitely stop eating. Or if you just have a weak stomach, definitely beware. When they got there, Sheriff Art Schley actually led the search through the home and the farmhouse. The house was completely dark and all the doors and windows were actually locked. They decided to start the search in the summer kitchen, which was basically a woodshed next to the house. And with there being no electricity in the home or in the summer kitchen, they had to go in with flashlights. Imagine that. And once inside, an officer felt something brush against his jacket. He then turned around and shined a light on whatever it was. And at first it looked like a very long white carcass. But once they got more light on it, they quickly realized that it was the headless dead body of Bernice Warden. Ed had hung her up by her heels just as he had done to Mary Hogan. He also decapitated her, sliced her torso open from her pelvic area to her neck, and she was gutted like a deer. And as horrific as this sounds, this was only the beginning of what they would find. Later that night, officers went into the main house to continue the search. It was pitch dark outside, so they brought in flashlights and lanterns. Ed's house was completely trashed, smelled like just disgusting death, feces. I mean, you can imagine a place with no plumbing or electricity, how nasty it would get if it's not cleaned ever. I mean, it was just absolutely disgusting. And sitting out in plain sight in the home were countless body parts, bones, and artifacts made of human skin. Ed had actually used human skin to make a wastebasket, chair seat covers, and a lampshade. He also used the skin and breasts of a torso to make a vest, leg skin to make leggings, and human faces to make nine masks, and hand skin to make gloves. There was just loose body parts all over the place. They found four severed noses, multiple ripped off fingernails, and ten decapitated heads with the top sawed off. Because he'd actually make bowls with human skeletons. He'd cut the freaking skull in half and use it as a bowl. He also made a belt made entirely of severed nipples and a necklace made of human tongues. A pair of lips was found tied to the drawstring of a window shade. He even had human skulls on his bedposts. And the police also found nine vulvas, which were found in a shoebox. It's just so disgusting. I mean, when he was mutilating those women's bodies, he was literally taking out body parts and putting them in boxes to keep for later. One officer found a brown paper bag, and when he looked inside, he saw human hair. Without thinking, he pulled the object out of the bag and was absolutely shocked to see a woman's face. The woman's face had been peeled away from their body and made into a mask. But what was even more shocking and disgusting was that he recognized whose face this was. It was the face of Mary Hogan, who had been missing for three years. They also found Mary's skull in a box, and Bernice's head was in a burlap sack. When they opened the refrigerator, they found organs, 
and a human heart that was in a pot of water on the stove. All of the skin, bones, skulls, and organs had come from female bodies. The police then found the room that Ed had boarded up and were extremely afraid about what they would find inside. When they pried the door open, though, they found a perfectly preserved space, just covered in dust, and it looked like no one had stepped foot inside in years. And later on, they figured out whose room this was. And of course, it was Ed's mother, Augusta's. And as you can imagine, it took a very long time to process Ed Gein's house. In fact, it took investigators months to collect, catalog, and test all the evidence from his property. Once all the evidence was processed, investigators decided to destroy it. Ed's creations were far too disturbing and horrifying to ever risk them getting out to the public. Very few crime scene pictures were taken inside the home, were ever released, but many replicas of the objects they have found have been made based on the descriptions. I mean, these objects are just disturbing, absolutely just disgusting to think that somebody would do these types of things, peel skin, peel body parts off of people, peel somebody's face off in order to make a mask. I mean, you definitely can see the inspiration for Texas Chainsaw, Leatherface. I mean, my God, it's literally what Ed Gein did. He literally peeled someone's face off and put it on his own or made a mask out of it rather. And super disgusting how much Ed integrated all this inside his home. Like he's just living in it all the time. And yeah, what kind of fucking uh, place is this? You know, it kind of made me think of Jeffrey Dahmer a little bit because I know he did like similar things. It's weird that Ed Gein was like obsessed with skin. And I, I really do feel like he was trying to create like a human suit to wear. Like just think about how disturbed you have to be to go to this point where the only thing you can think of is I need to peel other people's skins off from females in order to replicate like a costume of my mother. Like how messed up in the head do you have to be to do that? It's just so weird. I'm like, what is wrong with this guy? How do you, how do you even think of this? Like, or think this is somewhat of a good idea. I mean, it does none of it looks anything like his mother and it's just, I don't know. It's super disturbing. I mean, there's silverware made out of bones. Like he had just human body parts all over the place. Like it's just littered. Like what, what kind of place is that and why? Like, what's the purpose of this? And my question is, is like, dude, where are you going to wear the suit at? It's not like he's going to be wearing this in town. Like seriously, anything like that. So maybe he was already kind of aware that he was going to use this suit on some victims and you know, go that route with it or he just completely slipped into madness i think he just completely lost all mental Mm -hmm. reality like i think he's just so checked out and in this fantasy world he created that he's just not even a part of this world anymore where he's just so lost you know he can't possibly even comprehend you know what he even did and i mean what happens next really you know says a lot about this very fact After his arrest, Ed sat in jail and refused to talk to investigators for about 30 hours. Eventually, though, they confronted him about Bernice's murder, and he agreed to talk. All he wanted in return, in order to give them the answers they were looking for, was a slice of apple pie with some Wisconsin cheddar cheese on top. Ed ended up being interrogated for about nine hours in total, and he was given a lie detector test, too. During the test, he was even asked about several other unsolved cases. 
Detectives questioned Ed about eight-year-old Georgia Weckler, who disappeared on her way home from school in 1947. Also, the 1952 disappearance of two deer hunters named Victor, Travis, and Ray Burgess, as well as 15-year-old Evelyn Hartley, who was kidnapped while babysitting in 1953. But all the results of the test were inconclusive, because, I mean, lie detector tests are not always super accurate. But up until this point, the police assumed the body parts found in Ed's house were all from murder victims. But he told them a very different story. He talked to them about how he planned his late night visits to local cemeteries in order to dig up fresh graves. He said he went to three different cemeteries at least 40 times. During most of these visits, Ed said he was in a daze and often left without any bodies or body parts. And why do I think he was probably more than 40 times? I'm sure it was way more than that. Other times he stole the corpses or hacked off the pieces he wanted to bring home. And when he found jewelry on the bodies, he claimed he returned them to the graves. He told the investigators about the objects he made out of the human skin he had gathered, as well as the body parts, as well as about the human suit he was constructing. He even admitted to putting severed female genitalia over his penis and then wearing women's underwear over that. Oh, that just made me just chills up my spine. That's just so creepy and fucking disgusting. What the hell? Ed also said he would put on a vest he made from a woman's torso and wear it around the house. But one thing investigators noticed is that as he was talking about this, Ed didn't seem to understand how disturbing these crimes were, and he didn't show any remorse either. It was like it was this totally normal thing to him. But at the same time, he didn't really come across as like this evil murderer that would do shit like this. Like he seemed like kind of normal in a sense. The way the investigators described talking to him was that he was just friendly and he was actually pretty cooperative with them when he talked. And when he was talking about these absolutely heinous things, he had this kind of childlike way about him. But one thing Ed did not want to do was admit to murder. The crimes he committed, grave robbing and desecrating bodies were highly disturbing, but murder was punished much more harshly in the legal system. And he probably knew that he did eventually admit to Mary's murder though. And he claimed killing Bernice was an accident. And he actually claimed that Bernice's murder was an accident for the rest of his life. Ed did admit to robbing nine graves and he knew exactly which ones they were. Investigators actually went and dug up three of the graves that he spoke about in order to verify Ed's story. The police doubted that Ed would be able to unearth a coffin and then pull a body from it by himself in one night. When they went and pulled up these caskets, one was missing a body and actually had a crowbar inside. Another casket was missing most of the body and it looked like some body parts and jewelry had been brought back. The third casket he had mentioned actually had never even been opened because apparently he had lost his crowbar before he was able to get to that one. Investigators, though, were very confused by Ed's demeanor. I mean, he was obviously this evil genius, but he had this childlike sort of personality to him. And during questioning, Sheriff Art Schley became so enraged with Ed that he basically banged Ed's head into a brick wall over and over again. And in the days that followed his arrest, people from the community gathered for Bernice Warden's funeral. After being decapitated, basically sliced in half and mutilated, the funeral home had to piece her body back together so that her friends and family could say goodbye. She ended up being buried in a family plot next to her husband, and her son Frank reopened the hardware store less than two weeks later to try to return to some normalcy. But after this, the town was absolutely traumatized. And this was when reporters across the country caught wind. The media obviously caught wind of Ed Gein and the horrific crimes he had committed. 
and they started flocking to the small town of Plainfield, Wisconsin, in order to report on the story. When the reporters and media came to town, that's when they really blew this case up. And they started calling Ed by a number of different names, including the Plainfield Head Collector, the Plainfield Butcher, and the Plainfield Ghoul. And most of the townspeople resented the fact that the media was here, you know, blowing this story up and really causing them more pain. They're trying to recover from this or trying to move on from this horrific tragedy that happened in their town. After the media and reporters came to town, the news just continued to spread more and more. And because of this, this just created more fear in the community and more people felt uneasy. Everyone started locking their doors and their kids would even wake up in the middle of the night screaming from nightmares. Rumors started swirling around that Ed was a cannibal who chopped up his victims and gave the meat to his neighbors, telling them that it was venison. The local medical clinics also had a record number of cases of people with unexplained gastrointestinal problems, probably from reading about all the gruesome crimes in the paper, I imagine. Because every newspaper published the exact location of Ed Gein's farm, and hundreds of people went to see it for themselves. So many people started showing up to Ed Gein's farm that police officers had to be stationed outside in order to make sure no one broke in, and the house was eventually boarded shut. Outside of Plainfield, people responded to the story of Ed Gein differently. A type of dark humor emerged that people called Gein humor. What was Ed Gein's favorite dessert? Ladyfingers. What did Ed Gein give his girlfriend for her Valentine's Day? The box of fannies, which if you don't know what fannies are, it's a vulgar British slang word for female genitalia. Sometimes people would even order Gein burgers at restaurants as a joke. And the residents of Plainfield believed this dark humor was a coping mechanism to process the fear that spread through the countless small towns across the country. And because of all the media attention this case was getting, Christine Selvo, Mary Hogan's biological daughter actually came forward and she had been searching for her birth mother for a long time and sadly found out what happened to her from the widespread reports of her gruesome murder. District Attorney Carl Killeen requested a sanity hearing for Ed Gein and he told the press he planned to charge Ed with first degree murder and that the attorney general had ordered a media blackout to avoid influencing potential jurors. The media also interviewed Ed's neighbors to try to learn more about his possible motives. Like, why did he do this? Ed's lawyer, William Belter, visited him in jail and told him that they would enter a plea of not guilty by reason of insanity. Ed agreed to plead to insanity, and he also told him how much he liked the detective who did most of his questioning. And he went on to say that everything he confessed to during the interrogation was true. For days after Ed's arrest, though, investigators were silent about any motives for his heinous crimes. And then on November 21st, a story broke naming an unidentified investigator as a source. Soon, headlines across the country reported Ed's true motive, his obsession with his mother and his desire to recreate and embody her. These stories included gruesome details about Ed wearing masks and clothing made of human skin. The media diagnosed him with Oedipus Complex, a Freudian theory regarding young children's unconscious sexual attraction to the parent of the opposite sex. If it's not resolved in early childhood, Freud believed it led to an unnatural obsession with the parent. In Ed's case, when his mother died, he ended up murdering women who looked like her. Psychiatrists at the time disagreed about why Ed killed these women. Some believed he was trying to recreate his mother, and others believed it was his way of killing his mother over and over again. But according to Ed, he realized that he needed fresh bodies for his creations. As soon as he saw Mary and Bernice, he realized they looked like his mother, 
and after this he likely started making plans to murder them. As soon as he saw Mary and Bernice, he realized that, okay, they look somewhat like my mother, and at that point he likely started making plans to murder them. Ed also said that Mary used profanity, which his mother taught him was an unforgivable sin. The unnamed source told the media that Ed wanted to be a woman and wondered if it would be possible to have surgery to change his sex. While studying female anatomy, he even considered doing the surgery himself. It was rumored that Ed engaged in necrophilia and cannibalism, but neither has been proven. And when asked if he had sex with the corpses, he told the police he couldn't because they smelled too bad. Ed was indeed charged with first-degree murder, but his confession was ruled inadmissible in court because Art Schley had assaulted Ed during the interrogation by slamming his head into a wall. And what's interesting is that Art Schley ended up dying of a heart attack in 1968 at just 43 years old. And many believe that the trauma of being one of the first officers to enter the house and then interviewing Ed led to his early death. Others think the pressure of testifying at Ed's trial, reliving the trauma, and defending the assault was too much for him to take. One of his close friends said that Art was one of Ed Gein's victims, as surely as if he had butchered him. Ed ended up pleading guilty by reason of insanity on November 21st, 1957. And after a month-long psychological evaluation, he was diagnosed with schizophrenia, which honestly makes a lot of sense for him, I feel like. The doctor who evaluated him testified at his sanity hearing. He said that Ed had hallucinations and delusional thinking, and he believed he was an instrument of God and that he was able to raise the dead. When Ed spoke of these outlandish things or his gruesome crimes, his voice was flat and unemotional, as if he were talking about running an errand. So all these crazy, crazy things. It's like totally normal to him. It's not a big deal. It's very scary. And apparently during this hearing, Ed was also very scared and nervous. He was sitting next to reporter Dick Leonard. And after the doctor's testimony, he said to Dick over and over, what are they going to do to me? What are they going to do to me? The judge banged the gavel and ordered everyone to be quiet after that. And at that moment, Ed reached over and grabbed Dick's hand. And Dick later said, it was as if he was Ed's mother and he was a child needing comfort. The judge ended up ruling that Ed was criminally insane and deemed him mentally incompetent to stand trial. He was then sent to Central State Hospital for the Criminally Insane, now called Dodge Correctional Institute. On March 30th, 1958, Ed Gaines' farm and belongings were scheduled to be auctioned off. Who would want to own his stuff? Oh, I know, right? There's people out there that, that would want to own, own some object from his house or something. Sick, think about, but there's probably people out there. Like even even if it was obviously they're not going to like sell off the skin items, but like normal items in his house, I'm sure there's still, you know, things there that probably could be sold. But still, why would you want something of Ed Gein's? I just don't understand why they want to auction off anything out of Ed Gein's farm. Like, who would want to bring that type of energy into their house? Like, you know, obviously they're probably not selling the skin items because all that was destroyed. But why would anyone want to own something that even Ed Gein may have touched at one point. It's just very weird. Yeah, it's sick. It just shows like there's people who saw him as a celebrity. And I know we've talked about that in previous episodes, how, you know, there's people out there with that whole fascination behind a serial killer and, yeah, you know, just look at him in that way, which is just so sick. So, yeah, it's, it's, just, it's such a weird thing, man. But there was also rumors that Ed Gein's house would be turned into a museum or even a tourist attraction. Because people had been coming to the farm nonstop just to see the crime scene for themselves. 
Early in the morning on March 20th, a mysterious fire destroyed everything on the property. When Ed was told about his house burning down, his only response was, just as well. There was a brief investigation into the fire, but the cause was never determined. The townspeople of Plainfield were relieved when the house was gone. And my guess is somebody from the town probably burned it down because they're like, just get these people, these reporters out of here, erase this chapter and move on. And honestly, in these cases, I'm like, that's probably the best thing that could happen. Like just completely wipe it off, off the map. Cause like, what the hell? Why would you want to keep a house where people were butchered like animals upright, like, or make it a tourist attraction? Like, I, I just don't get that. Like, obviously people would want to go there and probably be like, Oh, haunted house, you know, this goes, but it's just like, you're just asking for bad things to happen. I feel like. But even though the property burned down, the auction still took place as scheduled, and hundreds of people attended. The hot ticket item at the auction was Ed's car, a 1949 Ford sedan. The car ended up going for $760, which is roughly $6,700 in today's money, by someone named Bunny Gibbons. Bunny took the car around to local fairs and carnivals as a sideshow attraction. How lovely, man. Literally profiting off of people's deaths that's just fucked meanwhile all this is happening ed gein is living his life in a psychiatric hospital according to those in the hospital he was fairly quiet and didn't cause any trouble for the staff but when he met with his doctor sometimes he would ramble incoherently and talk about what he wanted to do to women one doctor claimed this strange behavior always corresponded with a full moon which is interesting because full moon and women's menstrual cycle are in sync usually i believe So it's very interesting that he probably knew that and that's why he was making that association. But also maybe there's something else there. Maybe maybe Ed was like, I don't know. I don't know. There's something weird about this obsession with the other sex and the fact that, you know, and wanting to become his mother. There's something more going on there, I feel like. I don't know what it is, but I just feel like there was something more complex happening with that psychology than we even know. But then in 1968, Ed's doctors found he was mentally capable of standing trial. So the trial for the murder of Bernice Warden started on November 7, 1968 and lasted nine days. The defense requested a trial without a jury, so the case was decided by Judge Robert H. Golmer. A psychiatrist testified that Ed had told him he didn't know if he killed Bernice on purpose or by accident. Ed also testified that he had loaded the gun but didn't mean for it to go off. He said he didn't remember anything that happened after that. Despite this, Judge Golmer found Ed guilty of first-degree murder. Ed admitted to killing Mary Hogan, but because they didn't want to pay for another trial, he was never tried for her murder because they're like, we already got him on Bernice's murder. What's the point of spending the money on another trial? At this point, Ed was also 62 years old, and he ended up being sent back to the psychiatric hospital. And during a second trial, the verdict was changed to not guilty by reason of insanity because he was criminally insane at the time of Bernice's murder. He was 62 years old at the time when he was sent back to the psychiatric hospital. He then stayed there until July 26, 1984, when he died from respiratory failure, secondary to lung cancer, and he was 77 years old. Ed was buried next to his mother, of course, at the Plainfield Cemetery. And over the years, people who visited the grave chipped off small pieces of his gravestone to keep as souvenirs. And in 2000, the whole gravestone was stolen. What the hell? I just don't get that obsession with killers. Like, why would you want his gravestone? That's so fucking weird. But apparently the police actually found the gravestone near Seattle in June 2001. 
and they put it in storage at the Washera County Sheriff's Department. After that, Ed Gein's grave site was left unmarked, but people still leave flowers and letters for him. Groundskeepers find them on the bare patch of ground next to his mother's grave. Even though Ed Gein died, his story lives on today in the form of the movies that we talked about at the beginning, obviously Psycho. He was definitely the inspiration for Leatherface from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, as we've mentioned, Dr. Hannibal Lecter, and countless other characters. So in a way, his story still lives on as fucked up as it is and how sick it is. It's still used in, you know, a lot of popular movies and shows, you know, with most recently with American Horror Story. So, I mean, I think it's just because he's just such a freak that, you know, we're just interested as humans in freaks, you know, like to even think about somebody that could do these things is just so weirdly fascinating to us. And, you know, we want to try to wrap our head around like, why, why did he do this? At the end of the day, I think the issue with Ed Gein is not only mental issues, but I think his upbringing really had a huge impact on his life. And perhaps if he had had a different upbringing, different set of parents, maybe he wouldn't have ended up like this. I mean, maybe not, maybe he was born to do this, but I think in his case, especially, I think his relationship with his mother was extremely unhealthy. I mean, she was extremely abusive and just cruel, absolutely cruel to him. So I think this really had a huge impact on his outlook on life and obviously how he viewed women. He absolutely, you know, despised women other than his mother. So I think all that really played into these heinous acts that he carried out. And a lot of people believe that he was absolutely a serial killer. And there's probably other victims out there that we just don't know about that were uh, somehow connected to him. I mean, to have all these body parts and unfortunately, you know, not everything was able to be tested before it was destroyed. So I think there's a real possibility that he's connected to countless other killings of unsolved cases out there. I mean, I, I think it's pretty likely. I mean, he went to the graveyard at least 40 times to get corpses. I mean, he, he clearly wanted fresh bodies. So maybe there's some other cases out there that are unsolved that he is connected to, but definitely want to know what you think about this one. And you know, what, what was his motive? What do you think caused him to do all of this? I'd love to know your thoughts, but we'll go ahead and end today's episode there. This is four out of five of our Halloween episodes. Next week, we'll be back with another, especially dark episode for you. That also has inspired some horror films out there as well. Hopefully you still enjoyed this episode. Hopefully it was interesting to you. I know it was pretty disturbing, pretty disgusting at times, but I think it's definitely uh, an interesting case for sure. But yeah, that is it. I don't even know how to end these sometimes because I'm like, what do I even say to you guys? <laughs> I mean, this is just, uh, it's really, truly horrific stuff. And obviously, you know, Bernice's family lost a loved one and Mary Hogan's family lost a loved one. So always want to you know keep them in our thoughts and everything like that because you know we got to make sure we're you know paying respects to them as well i feel like it's important when talking about these absolutely horrific people out there definitely that's you know we remember the victims because i mean there is this i mean this is all about them at the end of the day so definitely want to remember them but yeah we'll go ahead and end it there make sure you guys are subscribed on apple Podcasts and following us on spotify i would really appreciate it and yeah check us out on youtube if you haven't already But until next time, lights out, everybody.